For the 23rd Sunday after Pentecost, we read from the epistle of the Apostle St. Paul to the Philippians. Brethren, be imitators of me and mark those who walk after the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is ruin, their God is the belly, their glory is in their shame, they mind the things of earth. But our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly await the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, who will refashion the body of our lowliness, conforming it to the body of his glory, by exerting the power by which he is also able to subject all things to himself. So then, my brethren, beloved and longed for, my joy and my crown, stand fast thus in the Lord, beloved. I entreat Evodia and I exhort Sintike to be of one mind in the Lord. And I beseech thee also, my loyal comrade, help them, for they have toiled with me in the gospel, as have Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Please stand for the Holy Gospel. Continuation of the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. At that time, as Jesus was speaking to the crowds, behold, a ruler came up and worshipped him, saying, Lord, my daughter has just now died, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and she will return to life. And Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. Now a woman who for twelve years had been suffering from hemorrhage came up behind him and touched the tassel of his cloak, saying to herself, If I touch but his cloak, I shall be saved. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, Take courage, daughter, thy faith has saved thee. And the woman was restored to health from that moment. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a din, he said, Be gone, the girl is, the girl is asleep, not dead. And they laughed him to scorn. But when the crowd had been put out, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this spread throughout all the district. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Our Lady, seat of wisdom. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. My dear friends, in the epistle today and in the Gospels, we read an emphasis to the fact of the resurrection, the article that we believe on the resurrection of the dead. As the church comes close to the end of the liturgical year, the matters, the realities of the end of the world are brought forth constantly. Many of us think usually that the ecclesiastical year mirrors the life of Christ. I think we can say that, but I think if we pay close attention, we will see that it mirrors much more the life of the church on earth. The ecclesiastical year begins with the expectation for the Messiah, as the church was at the beginning, then with the coming of the Messiah, with the passion of our Lord, with the resurrection, the coming of the Holy Ghost, and then the time after the coming of the Holy Ghost, which is these times that we live now, the time after Pentecost. So if you see it, the ecclesiastical year really mirrors the life of the church. And that's why in the last Sundays after Pentecost, which are these ones, the church constantly brings to mind the resurrection of the dead, 
the final judgment, all these things that will happen at the end of the world. In today's Sunday, we see that our Lord resurrects a young child, a young girl, but we also read these words from the apostle. He says, our Lord Jesus Christ will reform the body of our lowliness, made like to the body of his glory. And this gives me the cue to speak today, following that series on the catechism, to speak of the article of our creed that says, I believe in the resurrection of the dead, or the resurrection of the body or of the flesh. Now, regarding this, we're going to cover the questions that we read in the Catechism of St. Pius X, which are very simple, very summarized. The first one is, what do we mean when I say the resurrection of the, resurrection of the flesh? By that we mean, obviously, that all men, at the end of the world, their souls will take possession again of their body. This belief, funny, not funny, but interestingly, is not from the New Testament exclusively. It was already in the Old Testament, very, very clearly. Holy Job, who lived uh, about 1,000 years before our Lord, he says it in these words, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the last day I shall rise out of the earth, and I shall be clothed again with my skin, and in my flesh I will see my God, whom I myself shall see and my eyes shall behold not another. He makes emphasis in this fact that it is our very same bodies. Some would have believed that the resurrection was going to be God fashioning other bodies for us, but that's not the case. It will be your very same body, that very same body that you have right now, that you will get back when we rise again from the dead. That makes perfect sense if you think about it. The reason why we rise again with our body and soul is so that our body shares in the punishment of the sins that it might have committed or in the reward of the virtues that it helped to do. And so it has to be that same body that we used to perform those acts. This fact then is very, very well, very uh, quite established doctrine that it, it will be our same bodies that we will have. And when you think about it, this will be a great miracle to think that God is going to take our very same bodies and restore them as they were. It's a miracle that you can only compare it because of its extension to creation itself. This brings us to the next question in the catechism. The catechism asks, how can this be possible? How is, possible, how is it possible that we gain our bodies back? The answer is very simple. It is possible because of the power of God Almighty for whom nothing is impossible. There is a next question that we would have in the catechism. Which it says, when will it happen? Regarding this, there is a good cue here to, to make a warning. Oftentimes, especially if you look at websites or YouTube channels, you will find a lot of spurious prophecies about the end of the world that this is going to happen, or that's going to happen, that so many people are going to die, that is going to take place in the year so and so, that you have to do this and that. And remember, the only things that we're bound to believe are those that are in Revelation, in Holy Scripture, in tradition. All the rest of the stuff might be possible, it might not be. Regarding the time, we know full well 
that we don't know. Our Lord himself told the apostles, nobody knows, not even the Son of Man, but the Father. And that means that it's a, it's a date that will be hidden for us until it comes. What we know about the resurrection of the dead is that it has to take place after all those great events of the apocalypse happen. The coming of the Antichrist, the apostasy of the world, the persecution of Christians all throughout the world, the conversion of the Jews, that will happen as well. And after all these events take place, at the very end, when there is no more room for choice, where, where all decisions have been made, that's when the resurrection of the body will take place, preceding an event even more serious and more terrible, you could say, which is the final judgment, the universal judgment. So that is the time where it will happen. The next question that we would have is, how is this going to look like? Will we all rise just like we see here each other, uh, just like normal people, or will it be different? Most of you, if you know your catechism, you know it well. This is not so. There will be two great contrasts. The people that went to hell, or that were doomed, or damned, I should say, rather, they will rise and the ugliness of their sins, the hideousness of their actions against God, that will come and reflect in their bodies. So just like, for example, if you see a demon, it's a hideous figure, horrifying, because you see all the wickedness, all the malice, all their sins, you see it reflected in that vision. The exact same thing is going to happen when we rise again from the dead. If a person went to hell, you will be able to see all their sins, all their wickedness, all their moral corruption, even in their body. It's going to show somehow. The same is true in the opposite. If we went to heaven, if we did acts of virtue, if you did, for example, if you did alms, if you came to mass through a lot of effort, if you prayed your rosary, even if it cost you, if you did maybe great sacrifices to keep your purity, your chastity, or to, wait, to get away from sin, all of these things are going to show in a glorious and beautiful way in your body, each and every detail. It's hard to explain it because we have never seen it, but it is true. I will tell you a story, but it would make the sermon too long. We'll make some stories later. But regarding these uh, glorious things that we will have, the church names especially four that we know for sure from Revelation that we will enjoy. And we know them because we saw them in the resurrection of the body of our Lord. We see these characteristics. You know them. There are impassibility, clarity, agility, and subtlety. I would like to explain each one of these, but to make the sermon more digestible, I'm going to explain each one of them with a little story. I say, that to, say, I say to make the sermon more digestible, but also to, to enliven our faith, to make our faith alive. Because, my friend, I, I know what it's like to be in the pews, what it's like to be in the world, I should say. It is very easy for us to consider the things of our faith as almost fictitious, too far away from reality. But when we see that these gifts that I speak of have already been enjoyed by men here on earth, even alive in this life, we will see that it's, it, it is true, and our faith will grow in them. Let's go ahead and cover each one of them then, briefly. 
The first one that I mentioned is impassibility. That means that when you go to heaven and when you take your body back after being in heaven, your body will no longer suffer anything. It will no longer suffer from cold or from heat. You will no longer have the need to sleep, which will be great for me. And you will no longer have the need to eat or to drink. Notice that I say you won't have the need. Yes, you could eat or drink. Yes, you could still feel heat or, or cold, but it won't make you suffer. You will be able to perceive those things without the need of them. Someone that enjoyed this great gift was St. Francis of Assisi. St. Francis of Assisi reached it in a very high level. That doesn't mean that he didn't suffer at all times. What it means is that at certain times, God gave him this gift. There was one time, for example, where during Lent, he wanted to have, he wanted to do a Lent like Jesus Christ did. So he went to a lake, he found an island, and he went to the island and he said, I'm going to go here and I'm not going to eat anything for 40 days. And God gave him that gift. He didn't need to eat. For 40 days, he fasted. It's kind of funny, at the end of the 40 days, he thought to himself, this is very proud of me to pretend to do what Jesus Christ did. So he went ahead and grabbed a loaf of bread and he ate it just to humble himself and so that no one would say that he did what our Lord Jesus Christ did. There was another example which is more controversial, you could say. He was walking in a certain town and this woman of ill repute came to him and said to him, inviting him to sin. And you should never do this, but he was inspired by the Holy Ghost. So he, he realized what he needed to do to convert her. And he said to her, okay, I will go with you with one condition, or rather you will come with me with one condition. You will lay there where I lay. And the girl said, okay. So he took her to a place where there was a great fire. And he grabbed the fire the logs and the charcoals and all the burning coals, and he extended it on the floor, and then he laid himself on the fire, on the burning fire. The woman was horrified, obviously, and he said, well, here I am. And she said, well, I'm going to burn if I go there. And St. Francis said to her, we were going to burn for all eternity if we followed what you wanted to do. You cannot take a temporal fire, but you want to take an eternal fire? And this obviously converted the woman. She became a good woman after that. And we see there the gift of impassibility that St. Francis was enjoying. The second gift that I mentioned is clarity. And I mentioned this on the Feast of All the Saints. Uh, the Catechism explains it thus. It says it means that the saints, or our, ourselves, that means if we go to heaven, they will shine like the sun and the stars. This means, my dear friends, not only glow, not only light, what it means is that each one of us is going to have a personal, individual beauty, very different from the rest, depending on our lives. As I was saying, uh, there was, okay, I'll say the story, this was uh, St. John Bosco, I've said this before, on one occasion he saw St. Dominic Savio, and St. Dominic Savio was beautiful, and he could see many different things. But he said uh, he would look at one detail, and this detail would explain something from his life. To give you an example, he had a red belt, a beautiful red belt, that seemed to be all made with diamonds. We're explaining it with worldly examples, but it was more than that. 
And this particular ornament that he had around his waist signified with the color red, it signified the great sufferings he had to undertake to keep his chastity, St. Dominic Savio. Like this, all the beautiful things that you might have done in your life will glow, will show in your body. And that beauty will be very particularly yours, unlike anybody else. Of this, the story that comes to mind is one of St. Teresa of Jesus. When she was 60 years old, 70 years old, she needed help. So she had one of the sisters to stay with her in the same room so that she could help her change and dress up and all those things. Well, one day, St. Teresa was in her cell. The sister walks in and she sees Teresa. She was, remember, an old woman by then. But she sees her beautiful, glowing, radiant, and her face looks very, very young, like an angel. And she was praying and she was in ecstasy. The sight was so beautiful that the sister herself fell into ecstasy. She came into the room, she saw her, and then she was taken up to who knows where, just by the sight that was so beautiful of Teresa, because she was so delectable. And said Teresa herself, she would say that, if we could see the saints in heaven, just looking at one saint, that would be enough to make us happy for all eternity of how beautiful they looked and they are. I'll try to go briefly over the last two. The third mentioned was agility. I must say that this is my favorite one. I always tell the boys about this in school. They'll know about it if, if you hear me again, once again. Agility means that your body will not have the hindrances of the material. It will have the freedom of the spirit. Think of how great this is, and we never think about this. If you go to heaven with your, and you get your body and soul after the resurrection, you will, be able to, you, will, you will be able to go wherever you want. How often do we hear young people saying, I want to see the world and I want to travel here and there. When you go to heaven, you will be able to travel everywhere in the world, see everything that you would like, everywhere in the universe, at the speed of thought. The story that comes to mind regarding this, there was a certain nun, her, mother, her name was Mother Agreda, Mother Maria de Greda. She's the author of the books called The Mystical City of God. She was a cloister nun. She, she would never leave her convent in Spain. Around her time, her lifetime, was when America was being discovered and missionaries were coming to America. And you know that that was very hard. Some priests would come and the Indians would treat them very poorly. Sometimes they would be killed. It would be hard to convert them sometimes. One certain day, this group of Franciscan priests reaches a village down in South America. And when they reach the village, the people come out to meet them. They say, Father, it's so good to have you here. And they start kissing their hands and they're saying prayers with them and they're asking him for the sacraments. And they're so excited that they're here. And these priests are befuddled because no one had ever come to see these people. So they asked them, how, how do you know all these things? Do you know the, they know the catechism. They know everything that they need to know. They want to be baptized. How do you know these things? And they say, well, there is this woman coming from you people, uh, Agreda. Well, yeah, there, there's a woman that comes like every week or so, Agreda, and she teaches us catechism. Later they found out it was the nun that lived in Spain. 
that was bilocating, moving there to teach them the catechism. So you see there the gift of agility. To finish, the last gift mentioned is subtlety. What this means is that we will be able to move everywhere without any obstacles. You won't be hindered by a closed door or by a rock on your way or anything else. You will enjoy again the qualities of the spirit. And regarding this, there is a very interesting story. At the time of St. Alphonsus Liguori, uh, his, the Pope that was uh, above him was Clement XIV. Now, Clement XIV had suffered great political pressure from the Masonic governments in Europe to suppress the Jesuit order. By that time, most of the governments were taken over by, by masonry, and they were threatening the Pope. They were saying, if you don't suppress the Jesuit order, we will begin persecuting the church, basically. So the Pope caved in, and he ended up suppressing the Jesuit order, which at the time was the best order probably in the church, the one that was doing, uh, you can say the best, but it was doing a lot of good. And he suppressed it in 1773. One year later, the Pope is agonizing. All the doors are locked. All his uh, servants are out there with the doctors and everything. St. Alphonsus Liguori is sitting in his office 220 kilometers away. He's talking to his servants and everything, and then suddenly St. Alphonsus Liguori puts his head down, and he becomes irresponsive. He seems to not even be breathing. At the same time, they see St. Alphonsus Liguori coming into the room of the Pope and listening to his confession right before he dies. This was a great favor from God because you can imagine how troubled this poor Pope might have been after the hard decisions that he had to make. St. Alphonsus listened to his confession and then a few hours later, back in St. Mar uh, Maria the, of the Gods, 220 kilometers away, he raises up his head and he tells his servants, the Pope has died, let us pray for the Pope. And you see there the gift of subtlety also in the lives of the saints. My dear friends, to finish, these are but a few qualities that our bodies will enjoy. There are many more that we don't know of, that we couldn't even explain perhaps, and that's why God doesn't reveal them to us. But today as we continue with Mass, and as you go to communion, remember these beautiful things that your faith promises to you. Remember them to do two things. One, run away from sin, because you know that every sin that we commit, every single one of them, we will pay for, even in our body, not just in our soul, also in our body. But at the same time, get courage to practice virtue, to do the things that are mortifying, to go against the pleasures of your body, to restrain yourself from, from food, from other things, to come to Mass, to pray your rosary, all those things that are difficult for your body sometimes, because you know your faith promises you that you will be rewarded not only in your soul, but also in your body. This is what we remember today when we say during the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the resurrection of the dead. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.